Mac Power Users, Episode 123, Workflows with Craig Hockenberry. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. And, you know, we've got one of uh, the people I've had on my shortlist of, of, of dream guests for a long, long time now is Craig Hockenberry. Welcome to the show, Craig. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, I feel like you and I are pals because we probably drive by each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know that you're... Look, where you are, your base of operations is between my house and my office. So I'm certain that we uh, we drive by each other sometimes. And I've always wanted to sit down with you and have a cup of coffee, but uh, we're going to do it virtually. So, well, so anyway. well, if we're driving by each other, it's it's probably in the afternoon because I uh, I work at home. So I, the only time I really go out to drive anywhere is when I go to the supermarket in the afternoon. So. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm the, the guy that of, no, I won't say that. I say. <laughs> one of the beauties no, I, of working I'm, from home. No, yeah, it's you know it's 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 funny. It's like my break during the day is doing laundry. <laughs> it's, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. Well, I, we may uh, talk I, to you a little bit about that and, and how you get along and keep. Saying, laundry tips? Yeah. No, yeah, I laundry well. tips specifically. I really like those new pods. I gotta say. Have you tried the new the new pods? No, I'm just kidding. No, no, we, we're, we, we've uh, recently gotten a high high efficiency uh, washer, which is really nice. So, well, you, you guys had no idea you were going to talk about appliances during the show, <laughs> did you? Well, we could though. That's the sad thing. All right. <laughs> well, now for those of you who don't know, Craig has been in the development community for a very long time. In fact, we'll probably talk a little bit about that. But Craig, you've been you, you were saying before that you've been developing software since the '70s, and mm-hmm. that's um, And you're most well known in the Mac community for your involvement with the Icon Factory and uh, Twitterific, which was. Um, I don't even know what the category for that app is because it, it defined Twitter apps and, and you were the moving force behind it. Even before memory serves, even before Apple had an app store, you were working on Twitterific for the... Yeah, so. we, uh, I mean, Twitterific was um, an app that just, I think it's probably one of the first social networking apps for the, for the Mac. And uh, it was... Basically, I built it over a Christmas holiday. We take a, a two-week break at the end of the year uh, between Christmas and New Year's, and I had just started using Twitter and wanted a desktop app to do it, and they had recently released an API, so I kind of put something together, and the designers looked at it and loved it, and you know, we branded it and came up with the word tweet and the, the bird icon and all that stuff and uh, kind of was the first app um, to use Twitter other than uh, than other than their their website so well I remember when it came out and it, it really made for me it made Twitter usable I, yeah. I never was the type that would spend time sitting at a website but having the little app and if memory serves you guys uh, you had the menu bar little icon so I could get to the app very quickly I mean I I I was a uh, Firmly on board as soon as I saw it, and I also, of course, because the icon factory is involved, the the icon was gorgeous with a little bird. And, mm, yeah, and Dave, David did, David Lanham did an awesome job with that. In fact, it, it really uh, it was so good that you know everybody started using bird icons, and and a lot of people don't realize that that Twitter had no 
bird identity before uh, before our app. Yeah. Uh, and the, the whole, even, you know, it's funny, I hear the word tweet on, on the news or on TV, and it's like, wow, that's, that's like, I put that word in, into, the, into the lexicon of, of technology. It's kind of, kind of a weird feeling. If you but, could only have a nickel for every time someone said <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> you know it, I, for me, the, the joy is, uh, is uh, doing what I love, so I'm very lucky in that regard. Well, it really was. I mean, I think it goes beyond being a genre-defining application. It, it just it really changed the way uh, we all interact with social media. I never got on board with Facebook, but I'm still a very avid user of Twitter, and I think a lot of it has to do with the, the work you did at the beginning to make it so attractive to me. And, yeah, the, 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 the thing that struck me early on was that, that Twitter was like a water cooler. You know, for those of us who are... You know, we we essentially sit at our computers alone all day and and do work, right? All sorts of different kinds of, of work, and but we still have that need to interact with people. And Twitter was the the perfect way to do that for me. Uh, but I also needed something that's like you don't want to sit at the water cooler all day because you're not going to get any work done. Yeah. So it, it it was just as important to make it get out of my get out of my way and and that was the problem that I had with the web browser right it's like I use web browsers for documentation to test websites I mean I've always I've been I probably got like 20 web browser windows open right now right and and then you know finding Twitter among those is was kind of hard and just it was just a very natural thing to me to make it sort of you know fall into the background a bit which uh, yeah, and, you, and that's a really good way to describe Twitter too. Is the water cooler? I know that's a, a common yeah. paradigm, but for me and and Katie too, I'm sure we both don't work in a technology company. We work for the man, basically. And yep. uh, there, there's nobody at my work I can talk to about the latest Apple script to uh, to automatically <laughs> move dates in OmniFocus. I mean, they, they right. just right. If I said that to them, they'd want to put me in a home. But if I go on Twitter, I can probably find somebody that would like to talk to me about that, which is really fantastic. Well, yeah, it's it's the same with me. You know, I'm a software developer and, you know, the majority of the people that I follow are other software developers and they have software developer humor, they have software developer problems, they have software developer whatever. You know, and, and it's real easy to, to, form friendships and, and things like that in that kind of an environment. Um, there are a lot of people that I've, I've encountered over Twitter and learn a lot about them. And then when I meet them face-to-face at a developer conference or some other event, it's like, I already know the person, right? I've, I've already communicated with them. I've, you know, seen them with their guard down and, and it, uh, it's, Pretty good, uh, pretty good way to, to know somebody. In fact, it's funny. I'm six foot seven. Yeah, and that doesn't come across in Twitter. Yeah, right? it, it, people, you have no idea how big I am. <laughs> and the first thing that they see me now, when they see me now, is they come up to me and say, "Wow, you're tall." It's like, yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> well, well, we definitely need me because I'm short, and you know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know why it is that Twitter took off, but I do think it is the apps like 
like Twitterific that made it accessible for a lot of people. And, and I know now it's kind of become a creature of its own design. And I don't want to make this a podcast about Twitter anyway, but, but that's, that's one of the cl- many claims of fame that you have, Craig. You've also done some other great stuff, like you've got this Xscope app, uh, yeah, which allows... That, that, that for me is probably the work that I'm most proud of right now. Is, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's an app for web designers and developers. Um, it's, you know, it's not consumer software by any stretch of the imagination, but it really is something that I use every day, all day. Uh, and a lot of my fellow developers use it as, as well. So you know, I, I get a lot of satisfaction in, in, in doing that app because I feel like I'm helping other developers uh, in the process. Yeah, so many of the great apps are ones made by a developer to scratch their own itch. And yeah, it's, you know, our other app, Flare, is a you know lets you put uh, effects on photos. And, and that is very much a consumer-oriented app. And um, one of our partners, Wolfgang Antes, lives in uh, Berlin, Germany. Uh, he's an avid photographer, right? And and a software developer. And that app is great because it 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 has both the aspects of a software developer who wants something that performs a function, and the photographer who knows what that function should be. Yeah, you know. The itch and the ability to scratch it together—a very powerful combination. It's really fascinating to me on the subject of uh, photography software and image manipulation software. How that has grown in the last probably three years. It seems like I guess Apple built some of the tools in yeah. to the development system, where now you don't need to be the size of Adobe to come up with a real you know, credible. Uh, image manipulation application. Yeah, that there's, that's true. You still have to understand the basic principles and have a f- good understanding of the the mathematical concepts that are involved. Um, I wouldn't say that just you know anybody can step in and you know write a image processing app. But sure. Apple has given developers some really powerful tools to, to do those kinds of things, and that's I think one of the reasons why you why you see that. Um, proliferation of those kinds of apps and you know in addition to all these other things you are also you know you also give some commentary to the community and occasionally you put some blog posts up or was it at furbo.org is that your Mm -hmm. name yes yeah furbo.org and you know sometimes they're i think really telling like i i really like the stuff you've been writing lately about uh, the retina you know graphics and Mm -hmm. and the challenges that that puts on all of us um and uh, so anyway, uh, just to give an outline, you know, Craig does a lot of things if you haven't heard of him before. And I'm really glad to have you on the show to talk about your workflows. Um, before we get into it, though, Katie, what do you think about, let's talk about our first sponsor real quick. Yeah, and our first sponsor for this episode is 1Password. And 1Password is an app that I use all the time. And I especially used 1Password when I was at Macworld this past week. And was using my iPad as my primary computer in a lot of cases. And the 1Password browser has quickly become almost my default browser on my iPad. Anytime I need to do any kind of um, major kind of web surfing in places where I know that I'm going to need to be um, logging in and using uh, usernames and passwords. Because it is so easy now to access 
the one password browser because they've got these um, uh, special URL shortcuts where if you're in Safari, you click a link, Safari opens automatically. You can just type OP for one password and it will automatically open that link in one password and you'll have access to all of your passwords, all of your information that you've stored in one password at the click of a button. You can fill in credit cards, you can fill in logins. Um, so you can do your full browsing capability with all of the extra advantages of having one password built in knowing that you're in a safe, secure environment. And if your iPad should walk away or something like that, you've got the advantage of knowing that all of your data is locked up and secure inside one password with nothing to worry about. And they've just done a really good job with this as a browsing experience. It's really a full-fledged browser. Um, and it's probably one of my favorite new features of 1Password 4 on iOS. Uh, and, and maybe not a feature that I took advantage of as often as I should have in, in some of their previous versions of the app. Yeah, it is really nice. And they just came out with a an update to version 4 that's got, you know, even more, you know, uh features on it. it. You know, they haven't added a lot, but they've really cleaned it up a lot and it's just become a permanent member of my iPhone. In fact, I moved it to my home screen recently because it's so much easier to get onto the web and secure websites with one password now. I just have it on my home screen. Yeah, I don't blame you. So you can find more information about 1Password and all the great things that they do and all the ways that they can sync up your data now through Dropbox, now through iCloud. They still they just added with that new version 1.4 update back uh, Wi-Fi sync. So if you're not comfortable syncing this stuff in the cloud, making sure that you have all of your information everywhere on whatever platform you choose, wherever you go, Mac, iOS, even Android, even on the PC, um, and all that you can find over at OnePassword.com. And we want to thank them for their continued support of Mac Power users. So, um, Craig, before we, we jump in and talk about any more of your specific projects, wh- why don't you kind of back up and, and give us a little retrospective. How did you end up where you are today? Um, and, and how did you get there? <laughs> as, as I was saying before the show started, uh, it's been a long time ago, so it's sort of hard to remember. Um, my first paying gig for uh, writing software was in 1976. Um, was working on CPM with Microsoft Basic, uh, writing some engineering accounting software for a friend of my dad's, and I had discovered programming uh, oh, about a year earlier in in uh, high school, and that it's gone all sorts of places since there have done everything from processing satellite imagery to implementing robotic control mechanisms to uh, doing Unix software development. And in 1984, we were actually, I was actually working on a com- at a company that was uh, building document image processors, high resolution displays and, and that and scanners and, things like that, optical discs, which for 19, in 1984, that was all very cutting-edge technology. And we'd written our own windowing system and, and done all of this well, was pretty cool software. And then the, uh, the Mac was announced, and we were all like, no way, they cannot have done something like we did in, you know, the 600 or what was the original, 128 kilobytes Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was some. You know, we were just like flabbergasted that they could have done that work in that little bit of memory, and we ended all up getting Macs and being just 
blown away with with the the work that the engineers at Apple had done. Um, in fact, I love reading Andy Hertzfeld's Hertzfeld's um, blog at uh, folklore.org. It's just all the stories of how that came to be is they're great tales of of uh, engineers and how they go about solving problems. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting project. So so Andy was one of the original software engineers on the original Mac operating system mm-hmm. and was really there as it all happened. In fact, I think he originally came in for the Apple II program and then got moved over to the Mac team shortly after it started, if memory serves. Yeah, he and uh, both he and Bill Atkinson are, are just heroes of mine I mean, in fact it was i had the pleasure of meeting bill atkinson a, a few years ago and nice guy you know really smart he's he's actually he's making ios apps now yeah you know i met him <laughs> i met him at Macworld, and he was in the speaker room and i sat down next to him i didn't even know who he was was just sitting there but he was very friendly and he was showing me his photo app yeah, and then he shows me his car because he has a photo. He's a he's like a world class photographer among other yeah. things. Yeah, and and it says I think with Bill Atkinson for photography. I'm like, oh, that's the same name of the guy who wrote Mac Paint. Oh no, you didn't. <laughs> well, I'm saying this to myself, you know, and I'm like, I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, yeah, he looks about the right age. Right. <laughs> and I said, are you the Bill Atkinson? He says, well, yeah, I am, and so. uh so we had a really nice talk, and it was funny. That was the year that they had announced the iPad in that January, but it, it wasn't out yet. So everybody at Macworld was talking about it. You know, Omni Group had these fiberglass mock-ups of the right size they were carrying around, and nobody had actually seen one. And I asked Bill, I said, so, um, so you know, what what do you think about this? He says, oh, it's great. You know, I said, well, I said, well, it'd be nice if they had like a secret room here somewhere we could all go look at one. He says, oh, I already got to handle one. I'm like, really, where? And I was thinking, you know, some secret room. No, it was at Steve's house. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. But the, uh, but the guy uh, is just super nice. And I mean, yeah. isn't he the one with the, I think this is in the folklore stories where uh, they got some productivity manager at Apple who was going to start having the, the programmers report how many lines of code they wrote every two weeks to say how productive they were. And Atkinson was so smart that he would find ways to do everything faster and more efficient. So he turned in reports that would say like negative a thousand lines. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that actually is, is something that we as software developers do a lot, right? The, the less code you have, the less you have to maintain. And I'll, happens pretty frequently that you know you'll write a piece of code and then later on you either think of a of a smarter way to do it or apple introduces a new api and nothing gives a developer more joy than to delete code just getting rid of stuff that you know it's even though you know you, you've probably spent you know maybe hundreds of hours working on that code it's still just a, a incredibly satisfying to get rid of it I think it's very similar to writing. It's like, you know, you, yeah. the first thing you do is you kill your babies, you know? Right, right. It's, when, it's the exact same thing. You know, it's like it, if you can say it with fewer words, it's better. You know, if you can write the, or make the function happen with, you know, fewer uh, variables or fewer, uh, you know, conditional expressions, it, it's better. Just 
you're uh, you're ahead of the game. Yeah. Well, so so you went you got started though in the seventies. Now I imagine if you were like me at the time, uh, what really got my hooks into me about computers, even though I never actually ended up becoming a computer programmer, was just the idea that I could type something into at the time was a TV screen and make something happen on it. That just yeah. that just blew me away. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, going back to Mac Paint, I mean, it, it was the first time that I actually thought of a computer as being an artistic tool. You know, we were we were working with images and and things like that, but it just, you know, basically scanning insurance forms and you know making sure that they were readable on high resolution displays, and it wasn't very art and our very artistic approach to the bitmap display. Um, but then, you know, the Mac comes out and it, it's, it just showed how that tool could be used for creative endeavors other than, you know, writing, you know, accounting apps or word processors, which are important, right? You know, that's a, a different kind of creativity. You know, working with numbers and working with words are both very important. But working visually is something that hadn't been done prior to that. And, you know, it was so obvious with the, the first Mac. I mean, Susan Kari's work with the yeah. icons and the you know the user interface elements is just outstanding to this day. It, uh, I mean, yeah. it, Claris the dog cow is just such a whimsical and funny and beautiful thing. It's uh, very impressive. I mean, it's, it just it just goes to show you that the team that they had. Uh, working on that first Mac was just they're they're all geniuses <laughs> yeah I, I mean they really it was really a, an amazing um, combination of people I mean when you think about all that was required to make the hardware work to make the software work and and really the design was very unique I mean at the time like you I was working a lot on computers and there was nothing like the Mac even just the look of it the you know the the toaster, you know, design and the user interface just blew my mind because I was always used to the command line interface mm-hmm. up until the time that showed up. And I was a kid; I was younger than you, I guess. When the Mac came out, I was just—I uh, was in a high school, but you know, I was in the middle of my high school years, and I just didn't—I'd never imagined something like it. And uh, anyway. yeah, I had experienced a little bit of the graphic capabilities of the Apple II. But it was always just kind of a little bit too blocky and too. It just I didn't. It didn't really. It was kind of missing something for for my personal taste. I know a lot of people grew up with it and love it, and but it, for me, it was just missing something. Whereas the Mac was just it. They just nailed it, right? I mean, yeah, the display was small, you know, like five hundred pixels by three hundred pixels or whatever it was, but it, it was it was fine, right? It's like it could do. Gradients. It could. It was a. It was a quality that you could see. Also, that it was going to get better. Yeah, right? I, so it was I, pretty obvious that there was going to be color and the resolution would improve. And, I, and, and I've said this on this show before, but I remember opening the system preference panel. I don't know if that's what it was called back then. Or maybe it's called the control panel. panel. It's called yeah. control panel. I've been yeah. reprogrammed over the years, but the. Um, but I looked at the mouse clicking speed and they had that tortoise and the hare icon there. Yeah. And for some reason, when I when I grokked that, that's when the Mac had me. I can identify the moment 
and it was right then because it just was so foreign to me that they would make something so obvious. Computers were never that obvious before. Right, right, right. It would have been, you know, a, a plus or a minus or, you know, FSTR, SLW or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they really, they really got it right. But anyway, so how long was it from the time you got your hands on a Mac to the time you started writing software for one? Because it was no easy task back in those days writing Mac software. Yeah, well, I had I had a day job at that point, and you know I fiddled around with it a little bit and wrote some real simple little things, um, but it wasn't something that that I really dove into. Um, and it was actually quite a bit later, um, probably mid '90s, I would say, you know, '94, '95, that I actually started getting back into to Mac software development. Um, my primary motivation there was I had uh, been working on satellite image processing and been working with algorithms that were were designed to work with uh, satellite imagery. But I just discovered on my own that they worked really well with phot- photography and, you know, uh, image that had been generated with imagery that had been uh, generated with uh, Photoshop. So I wanted to take some of these concepts and ideas that I had and write Photoshop filters. And of course, at the time, you know, Photoshop was meant, you know, doing it on a Mac. So I got a Mac, got the Photoshop SDK, and started writing the, these filters and. Um, actually sold those as shareware for for several years. In fact, just they were there were versions of them available just up until like a couple of years ago. So um, that uh, that was really the first time I got involved with uh, Mac programming, and and about that same time is when I discovered the Icon Factory. Um, it uh, was nineteen ninety seven, I believe that uh, I stumbled across their website, which was just a little simple one-page affair that had a bunch of icons. And I was working on a a desktop app that let you change the icons on your folders. And I had this design in mind. And I showed it to the guys. I just basically sent them a, a prototype version of the app. And they got all excited and sent me back all these, you know, screen mock-ups and it's like, oh, can you do it? Make it do this. Can you make it do that? And it, it just, it's like, that was the start of my work there at the Icon Factory. And, and since then, we've made, oh, I think I counted one time, we've, we've released 12 or 13 different products. Yeah, um, and, you know, the Icon Factory, the name is deceiving because... When you hear it, you think, okay, that's a place where you can get a lot of icons. But they actually have software products. I mean, that's yeah. That's, it, 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 originally, the Icon Factory was just icons. And then I came along and it was like icons and a little bit of software. And then, you know, over, over the years, we, we came up with more and more things. And, um, yeah, it's... It, we're always, you know, it goes back to scratching the itch, right? We always have little itches that we want to scratch. Um, we wrote a Photoshop filter to, to make icons. 
because I had this background in working with Photoshop. All the guys in the office used Photoshop. Um, and Apple had released a new icon file format that had 32-bit imagery in it with you know alpha masks and that kind of things. And Photoshop was the perfect tool to, to make those kinds of icons. So that was a product that we sold for probably eight years. Um, we're still selling it. It's, it's not, it's kind of close to being end of life um, because everybody's working with PNG graphics now. But, you know, again, that's just a, that's an itch. Another one of yours that I love is, is take five, you know? Uh, yeah. First of all, that, the Dave that is the show. ultimate itch. I mean, I love to listen to music <laughs> and, I, and I'm old enough to be forgetful. <laughs> so what take five does, it's a, it's a nice little app with, of course, a gorgeous icon, which is, um, well, right now it's 99 cents in the Mac app store. So you got to go get it. But so you just press the button and your music stops and five minutes later it starts again, mm-hmm. which, uh, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's, I don't want to say stupidly simple, but it's, it's pretty, pretty basic in what it does. Um, but it's, it lets me control my music easily and, uh, and quickly. Now, you know, the, the, the problem that the Take 5 solves is, you know, you're listening to music, you're, you know, working away, you know, you're listening to music on headphones or your speakers or whatever, and, oh, there's a link to YouTube. So you go over to YouTube and you pause your music while you watch the, the, the video on YouTube, and then, like, hours later, you remember, oh, yeah, I paused that music and I haven't been listening to silence for the last, you know, two hours. Yeah, or or in my case... One of the kids comes up and wants to talk, or yeah, the phone sense. rings, or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's you know it's it's the the new boss key, right? <laughs> boss. <laughs> and five minutes was was actually a, turned out to be a pretty you know it, it, you can adjust the time. It can be longer than five minutes. Five minutes is kind of a sweet spot um, as far as you know most conversations. that your boss, you have your, your boss are fairly short. Um, you know, YouTube videos, if it's longer than five minutes, I'm going to watch it later on my Apple TV. Um, so, yeah. So so once you got started with the Icon Factory, that became your thing then, right? I mean, that's pretty much your full-time gig now, is, yeah. is oh, yeah. writing apps for these guys. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the yeah, Icon Factory... partner, Penny. Yeah, no, sorry, go ahead, good. Keith. I was going to say, and the Icon Factory also helps other developers... Um, I, I know with with some of the graphics work for for their apps, but but do you also help developers with some of the coding aspect too, or, or what other kind of uh, resources are available at the Icon Factory? We we don't uh, get into coding. Um, all our software projects are are internal. Um, we do partner with other developers. Um, we've got several partnerships. In fact, there's a new one that that we just recently started. Uh, that's going to be a really great product, and we're working with them now. Uh, but we don't actually do any coding in those kinds of, of, of situations. Um, about half of our business now is, is doing graphic design, uh, um, for, for clients. Well, I just think the icon, software clients, especially the icon in this new world of app purchases is really important. It's the very first image or association a user has with an application yeah, and it's, I, it's hugely important. And you know, I have to admit, as much as I like to swear that it's all about the interface and how everything works, if an app has a really terrible icon, um, I'm probably not even going to try it. 
Because it to me it's an indication of attention. Yeah, it, you know, I really have. There have been a couple of apps that I, you know, for one reason or another, need to have them on my home screen or in my dock, and they've got a terrible icon, and <laughs> it just, it just, it just, it feels wrong. <laughs> it's just like it bugs me. Well, especially um, with you know your associate. You can with fix the icon. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. And and you know, it, often what will happen is that you know it's an app that somebody else at the icon factory needs and. You know, it's we've been known to replace icons on on apps that we we use frequently and really don't like. Um, nobody liked the, for example, the the Photoshop icons when they they changed from being the the I to the just the letters. And yeah. That, so there were a lot of. Um, I mean, those those icons have gotten better, and I think I understand why they did it, and their reasoning for doing it was pretty sound from a branding point of view but there was a lot a period of time there where everybody was changing their photoshop icons because they couldn't uh too new too different couldn't and it just looked out of place on on their dock um now 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 craig do you go and change like a lot of icons on your mac these days i mean i i remember there was a time when that was like a big deal to me like i would want to replace the trash can with a tree or something you know yeah yeah (laughs) I used to do the same thing, and I have, I don't know, it's because of old being older and not having the time to do that, or if the icons have just gotten better. I mean, I, the original Aqua icons, um, the, the folder icons had little stripes and stuff on them. I just hated those. Yeah, those were that pretty got, terrible. That's, we, we partnered with uh, Panic to write an app called Candy Bar that let you change those. Um, and that those 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 folder icons have gotten a lot better. So yeah. it's, I don't feel the need to change those anymore. Um, another thing I think is that the, is that I have more Macs now, and you know the, when you when I just had the one machine, you know you could spend fiddle around with it and customize it and everything, and then oh god, I got to install some software updates. It's going to ruin all my customizations and everything. And now, you know, I've got, just sitting here, I've got three Macs that are, that are running with various versions of the operating system and, you know, software beta versions and things like that. Um, I don't have time to go tweak each one of those machines. So it's, I keep a fairly stock environment. Um, yeah, and you know what? That's a good segue. I want to talk about what you use to do your development work. But we're going to go ahead and talk about another sponsor real quick, and that's going to be um, Fujitsu. Fujitsu's been a longtime sponsor of the show, and we're, we're really happy to have them as a sponsor. And I'm really excited to talk about their newest product. Uh, they've recently replaced their standard desktop scanner for the Mac, the S1500M, has now been replaced by the iX500. And let me tell you, this is a fantastic scanner. I've um, I've got one here now, and I have been just loving it. The thing is faster than the older version. Um, it's got some really great new features. If you've got an iOS device, you can scan directly to that. So once you set it up on your network, you got to plug it into a Mac or a PC first to get it on your network. But once you're done, you can have your Mac turned off, and you just open the app on your your iPhone or your iPad. You press a button, and it scans straight to your phone, which is kind of like magic you know and i think it's the uh 
It's foretelling of the future that we can do this stuff now with our iOS devices. It's got an even better paper feeding system that you know, does a better job of avoiding jams and multi-feeds. But you can also tell it when you're multi-feeding on purpose. Like one of my pet peeves before is if I had a sticky note attached to it, it, it would catch that with that sensor and say, hey, you've got two pages. Well, you can tell it that you're going to give it multi-pages and it won't hang up on that. The software is even better than before. And now the device works on both the, the Mac and the PC. There's not individual scanners for the different platforms. I, I think they've really done a great job with this new update. And uh, I'm just really pleased to see how much Fujitsu values the Mac community because they continue to make a, a fantastic product and they continue to make really great software for the Mac. It does the OCR and it's easy to use. It's, uh, it's just a great way if you want to get started on a paperless system. So they've got the iX500 now. If you want a desktop machine, if you want something a little more portable, I'd go with the S1300i, uh, which allows you to, uh, it's in a desk drawer, you can take it with you on a trip. Or if you really want to go portable, the S1100, which you can fit in a briefcase or a purse, it's just really a small, almost a thin stick, it takes one sheet at a time, and that one runs right off the USB power. So no matter what your scanning needs are, uh, Fujitsu's got it for you. Yeah, you know, David, I, I hooked up my mother with a Fujitsu uh, 1300. And um, for New Year's, that was her New Year's resolution, is to start going paperless. And she was a little skeptical about it. I had to push her to get started. And you should have seen her. She just started flinging that paper after she came out of the scanner. She had it all over the floor of her little den. And then she just scooped it all up and threw it away. And it was the most satisfying feeling, I think, for her to get rid of all of that. I won't use the word that she used in her life. So. Yeah. And it's, it's just not hard. You just put it in, you press the blue button and it's in. I think it's the same kind of endorphin you get when you, when you shred things. Remember when personal shredders was a big deal like 10 years ago and everybody would just start shredding any piece of paper they came in contact with. Uh, you get the same feeling when you get a scanner and the Fujitsu scan snaps are the way to go. So, so check it out. Let them know you heard about it through us. And um, if you want to get started on paperless, I can't think of a better way than getting yourself a scan snap. Um, All right, so, David, so, if, if you don't mind, but before we go on to the topic of, of tweaking, and I definitely want to head back there, I, I, I want to stay back for one minute on this topic of, um, you know, consulting with, with developers and app designers and, and, and making these, these apps. And I just wanted to ask Craig, um, before we get off that topic, how is, does that process work just from a technological standpoint, uh, kind of walk us through that consulting with somebody who you probably never have and maybe never will meet on such a, you know, what could be one of the most important projects of their life. I mean, how, how, how do you do that? And how has that process changed as our technology has evolved? Well, it, it, it's, it's funny, but one of the things that we still rely on quite a bit for, uh, for these clients is the telephone, right? We still need to talk to people and, you know, get their ideas and, you know, discuss things. Now the telephone may be hooked up to Skype, you know, but, but you know, the, the voice communication is, is pretty important there. Um, at least in the initial phase of things, then it tends to, as we, as the ideas mature, uh, it tends to go to email because then you can send, you know, comps and mock-ups of, of what you're thinking of and and get feedback from people and do start that iter iterative design process. 
Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's most of our clients we've never met. It's, uh, they're, it's, 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 it's the exception to, to meet a client rather than the rule. Craig, Craig, do you ever meet new clients or, or talk to people with video chat? Um, no, we, we have used video chat in the past uh, internally, but usually only when there's a whiteboard involved, you know, where we've got, where somebody's drawing pictures on the board and I need to see them. Yeah. You know, the, the whiteboard is in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I'm in Laguna Beach, California. You know, I need to see the, the ideas that are being sketched out. Um, but that's very rare. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's I, I'm having the same experience. Is it? You know, because I'm like dealing with things where I've got, I'm working with, uh, I guess it's a barrister. He's in London, an attorney I'm working with over there on a case. And and we had our first meeting because I was in essence hiring him on behalf of a client. I said, well, let's do video chat uh, just so I could see the guy's face and kind of get a feeling for him. And it was very off-putting for him. It feels to me like people still really aren't comfortable doing that. Um you know, it just yeah. hasn't really sunk in yet. I don't know if it's ever going to, because it seems like the technology's there now. You can, I do it to my my kids and my wife all the time with my iPhone. But oh yeah, yeah. If we're talking about FaceTime with my wife, I mean, she travels a lot, or not a lot, but frequently in in the, in her job and and primarily to India and China. And when she's away on a trip, getting that FaceTime call from her. Where I can see her expressions and see what her hotel room looks like. It's just, it's just, it's wonderful. It's, I absolutely love that. Do I need to see what the people I work with on a day to day basis look like? Not really. Yeah. Right? It just gets, it gets in the way. And if it's somebody I've never met, you know, it's a little bit, yeah, like you said, it's a little bit off. I don't want to say, off putting is probably not the right word. It's, it's a little bit, you're, you're still filling each other out, right? It's not, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's a pretty interesting phenomenon that, that with, with the people that we love dearly, video is no problem at all. Yeah. And, and I, think others, maybe, it is. Yeah. I think maybe part of that is, you know, we know that, uh, our, our spouses or our loved ones impressions are, feelings towards us are not going to matter whether or not our hair is combed or yeah, well, you know, sitting there in know, a beat up t-shirt or not. I, I, you know, I don't have air conditioning in my office. Right. So and in oh. Laguna Beach, it gets warm in the, in the, uh, yeah. the I'll often be sitting in the, you know, in my office in nothing more than a bathing suit. Yeah. So yeah, I don't want to do a FaceTime or a video <laughs> conference with somebody when I'm like that. You know, it's just, although I have to say, I've been in Laguna Beach in the summer, and I really don't feel that bad for you. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a rare occurrence. That's a problem. Yeah, but yeah. the uh, but it is interesting. I think as we as we have people who work at home, and we're getting more of a kind of a national presence with the type of work we do, and we we deal with people that aren't necessarily down the street. How often it is that we will Skype someone, but we will never video chat. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to ever change. I, I thought it would have by now if it was going to, but yeah. Another interesting thing, Katie, is that that as far as the Icon Factory is concerned, we've 
we grew up on the internet as a company. Uh, we've never, I mean, we have an office with, with a fair number of people in, in Greensboro. Um, but we have uh, also have an office in Stockholm, Sweden. We have my office here in Laguna Beach. We have a developer in Dubuque, Iowa. We have partners in Berlin. We have partners in uh, Minnesota. We have, you know, it's just, we are a distributed company. I mean, the, the five partners in the company have only been together once in the 13-year history to, of, of our business. So, wow, that's surprising. Yeah, it's just it's 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 kind of weird, but that's the way we grew up. That's the way we work, and and we're very much a technology company that uses technology to to its fullest extent. Uh, we couldn't, you know, without you know, without a good internet connection, uh, our business would just die. So now, how do you guys do that then? Because I, I was thinking, well, I guess you would all meet at WWDC, but not all of you are developers. Some of you are artists. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's that's why I say it. That, that there was a uh, we a fair number of us. I think three out of the five partners met uh, at MacWorld a few years ago. Um. Uh, a couple of us have been at, at WWDC, but yeah, it's uh, we t- we talk on the phone, right? We we you know, when, when I say the phone, I'm talking Skype or you know, we, it's been a long time since we actually picked up a, a landline and talked. It's that's uh, do you, you know do you, well, you, you talk for hours, and if you're talking to somebody in Sweden, that gets expensive. <laughs> sure. Do you use anything like 37 signals or Glassboard or any of these things? Oh yeah, things? yeah, yeah. All of those. Uh, we are very heavy Basecamp users. Basecamp okay. is, is just like you know everything from software releases to client work. Um, we keep track of interesting projects that people are working on because. You know, me not being in Greensboro, I don't see the things that, you know, the Photoshop documents that the guys are working on. And, you know, I really don't know exactly what clients they're working with right now. And it's really interesting for me to see the, you know, what they're working on and, and get an idea of of what's happening in the company and vice versa, right? You know, I'm working on software, you know, I'll do some screenshots of, you know, something I'm prototyping or whatever and upload them to Basecamp and get people's comments and it's uh, and it, <clears throat> because we're s- spread over so many different time zones, it's very kind of asynchronous, right? Yeah. It's I don't expect feedback immediately. I just can't. Yeah. Right. In fact, it may be you know up to twenty four hours, right? If I if I do something and got to get somebody in Europe to look at it, and you know I'm doing it right now. There he's asleep, and he's going to wake up. He's you know maybe got something else planned. He's not going to do it till the end of the day, which is you know past my you know it's time zones are are weird. <laughs> yeah, but the nice thing about five. and the nice thing about Basecamp is it doesn't matter because the, as long as the ball is moving forward. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you when it's it's when you stall that you have a problem, and. Now, as a result, I often work on more than one project at a time. Yeah, you know that the days of having one task and you know, you know, finishing it, you know, completely and then going on to the next task. I, I am a huge multitasker, just out of necessity. 
Yeah. Well, not, it doesn't sound like multitasking <laughs> so much as uh, a, a lot of unitasking where you work yeah. on something, yeah. you yeah. send it out, then you jump to the next one. Right. Which is what which we all struggle with. What about this? Have you do you use Glassboard? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's mainly a, mainly at conferences. It's yeah. uh, it really hasn't taken off as far as our day to day chat in the office because you know, either messages or iChat works pretty good for that that need. But at conferences, oh, Glassboard is just it's superb. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I guess for people who aren't aware, Glassport is kind of like a, a, a private social networking service where you can send little messages back and forth to a select group of people. We actually yeah, set one up for Macworld this last week. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of people have set up boards for, for Macworld. And, you know, a lot of people set up boards for WWDC or even smaller conferences. You know, Singleton up in Montreal had one that was, was great. You know, it's like, it, and it can be everything from like, you know, I'm hungry. I'm going to go out to eat. Anybody want to join me? And next thing you know, you got five people who are in the same boat as you are, and then you're ready to go. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting yeah. uh, for a small group. I mean, I, I'm looking at it in both the legal practice, but I'm also getting Glassboard invitations from some software developer friends who are getting me involved. You know, towards the end of their beta process. And they've got maybe you know a select group of people on a glass board where they can kind of have a dialogue going about the beta software where everybody can see it. So you don't have the same person filing the same bug report, you know, or or ten people submitting the same bug report. That's very interesting. I, I was actually on the glass board beta, and they they had a a board for the beta, and you know, it was very active and everything. But I never really thought about using it for my own software for that purpose and that that would be kind of neat yeah and they're I, in the I, wish, I wish yeah i, I kind of wish they had a mac native mac client instead of the the web but yeah i understand why they did that it's you know they, they also by doing it on the web they also got an android client so yeah there you go i thought they were, i think they already had an android client there yeah it's, never mind well, Craig, well, I want to get a little more into, you know, what is a day in the life like for somebody like you who, you know, works remotely, works out of your house and, um, you know, kind of has only once met your five partners because that, that to me is very intriguing for someone who my law partners are in my face every day, sometimes a little more than I hoped that they would be. Um, so I'm very curious to, to hear how that lifestyle works for you and how you stay sane and, and the tools that you use to do that. But um, maybe before we do, let, let's take a quick break and talk about another sponsor for this episode, and that is Connected Data. And Connected Data has a really interesting product coming out. It has a very, just launched a very successful Kickstarter um, with over a thousand backers, and that is called the Transporter. And the Transporter is is kind of this quasi online but offline cloud storage solution that allows you to create your own private cloud for storing, accessing, protecting all of your valuable files. And this is kind of a really interesting concept because there are all of these cloud-based services out there that we use and they're, they're great convenience and they're great security and they're extra redundancy. But you know, that, that, that privacy piece and who owns your data and where's your data um, is, is always a little bit out there. And yeah, I want the convenience of being able to share this file with David, but maybe if David and I have a falling out, I want to be able to pull that file back from him and have him not keep it anymore. 
or if I'm if I'm working in an environment, I want to be able to share it with my coworkers, or I want to have a backup of my data offsite, but I want to be able to control it. And and so you know the cloud gives you some of this functionality, but if you don't own the cloud, you really don't know where your data is going and and who really has control over it. And the other thing is that if you if you keep renting space in these virtual clouds that a lot of other people um, will sell you for for these various products, you keep finding that you keep paying for the space over and over and over again. So, uh, you know, you play f- pay for your offsite backup and you pay for your offsite file storage system and you pay and you pay and you pay and depending on how much more space you pay anymore. And the transporter is is just uh, all in one solution. It's, it's really cool. It's about the size of a Coke can. Um, that has a hard drive in it and you stick it in and you connect it to your network and you can keep your data locally. So it, it's got all the benefits of local data. And then you can um, plug another one into another network, whether uh, it be at a friend's house or it be across the country or across the globe and selectively choose what files you want to share with other transporters. And you can share with one, you can share with two, you can share with a half dozen uh, or you can share with as many as you want and you can select, I want to share this group of files with this set of people, this subset of files with this set of people. And if you want to stop sharing at some point, you can pull them back. So it's a it's a very interesting concept. It's one that we're seriously looking at the office. Once you've once you've got it, you've got it. And once you've got it set up, you can control over it. Um, and I'm I'm been using it. I've been in the beta test with David for a little while. Um, I like what I see. These things are real. And um, I, I hope you can uh, I, I hope you can find a use for them if, if, if that sounds interesting. So you can find uh, more information about the transporter over at filetransporter.com. And I want to thank them for continuing to support the show. Yeah, you know, people were going nuts for these at Macworld. This is a really great product. But anyway, so, so Craig, let's talk a little bit more about – we're going to get to programming, I promise. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> but but you caught us. You caught and every, us, with this. and everybody and everybody's eyes are going to glaze over. Yeah, but but you know you kind of caught us with this whole idea of the um, of the of the disconnected office. I mean, twelve years without having all the partners meet. I I'm, I'm like Katie. I'm I'm flabbergasted. But but that's just because of my worldview that would never work. But I guess with an internet company, it does. Yeah, it's uh, you know it it's breaking things down into responsibilities and and I mean for example all the accounting and, and that kind of activity is done in Greensboro our accountants are there so you know and and the, the company treasurer and the company president and, you know all that are are there um, so that's fine you know all the, the all the technical stuff and all of the decisions you know, about servers and that kind of stuff is, is on me. And, and, you know, to be honest, our, our servers are actually up in Portland. We, we share a, a server rack with uh, panic software and, you so know, your, I've been up, I've been, I've been up, yeah, I've been up, I've been up there a few times, you know, install servers and, and everything, but most of the stuff just, you know, goes over a remote connection, you know, so I can see the desktop in Portland and, you know, do whatever I need to do up there. So, so and and you're the you're the primary coder for the company, right? I mean, you're the one. Am I right? I don't. I, 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 I'm 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 the first, and I have my hands in all projects, but I'm not responsible. I'm not the primary coder on all projects. Okay. Uh, right now, I'm the primary coder on Xscope. 
Uh, I'm working with uh, Sean Heber uh, and and Tyler Anderson on Twitterific. Uh, those are kind of my two big projects right now. The just, but you know, there's there's other stuff going on. This this, this new product that we're working on that I'm um, not involved with yet, but probably will be as things get to the point where we start to productize it. So, so the code is, is in, I suppose, Portland, you said? Or was uh, it, our, was, ser- our servers are, yeah. Okay, it, so it, the server's it, up also, there. Yeah, we also have servers in my garage and <laughs> servers <laughs> everywhere. Well, we, well, what are, well, we, we don't get to have servers in our garage in Florida. They, bad things didn't happen. Yeah, it, 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 we're very lucky here in Southern California. We don't have humidity Yeah, and, and other, you know, nasty stuff like that. So, Craig, what are the other problems you guys have run into uh, running this this company spread out like this? You know, we've talked about, you know, the base camp and some of the other products you need to use to keep everything working. What else, what are the other problems you run into? Uh, sometimes people's feelings get hurt because I, I particularly be, tend to be very matter-of-fact about things, right? And 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 I'm also working with a bunch of designers who are they're very sensitive to their environment. Um, so you know, I've I've offended people and not known it, right? That's the hard part. Yeah. It, you know, I've said something just you know off the cuff. You know, I didn't even think twice about the, the comment, and somebody took it very personally. Because and you're not in the same I, room, you don't even perceive it. Exactly. I don't. I don't. I don't know that that, that that there's any problem. And luckily, my other partners and other people know that. You know, we, we've after the first time, second time, this is, happens. You realize, okay, somebody needs to let him know what happened. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I, I stumbled the, across the. A little bit of a minefield the other day because somebody had told somebody else something personal and they didn't tell me because it was personal. And then I mentioned to that other person and it wasn't a, a terrible thing, but it's like I would prefer to have not said something, right? It's like I kind of. So, so really what you're saying is. Go. So what you're saying is communication. I mean, I guess yeah. that's obvious, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're not in the same room, it's even harder. Well, it, it's it's more it's more the spontaneous kind of communication, right? It, structured communication, we don't have a problem, right? We've got base camp, we've got processes in place, um, you know, meetings to discuss, you know, feature lists and whatever, you know, bug reports and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's more the spontaneous, you know, just. It's the water cooler talk, yeah. right? And and everybody in the company is on Twitter, right? And I've got a, a list on Twitter that has everybody in the company on it, and I can look at that list and see what everybody said during the day. And, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, well, that's nice if they had lunch out uh, or that they saw a movie. And, you know, I didn't get to, to do that, but, you know... 
Likewise, you know, I do stuff that they don't get to do. So I would just brag about surfing if I were you. Every time they do, yeah, you know, that's all I have to do. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> post some photos. You know, it's like, ah, eh, you know, they're they're in the sweltering heat, and it's like, ah, it's seventy six degrees, waters, you know, low seventies. I think I'm going to go for a swim. <laughs> so, um, so when you do uh, get, you know, crack your knuckles and you open up Twitterific or. Uh, Xscope or whatever you're working on. What is the um, what are the apps you use to get your your Mac programming done? I think uh, besides X Xcode, yeah, um, that's you know, every Mac developer and iOS developer uh, both loves and hates that tool. And yeah. Love it because it's so damn powerful, and hate it because it can't do everything perfectly all the time. I mean, it, well, let's let's stop right there for a second because Xcode really has changed a lot over the last few years. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I used to fiddle with it, it was a, a a series of tools, whereas now it's one massive tool that, mm-hmm. and and so the whole interface has changed quite a bit. And I guess that was about two years ago that they started that. I think it was a version four. Yeah. Two or two or three years ago, that they they made some fairly major uh, changes, and and some people still haven't adapted to those. Um, it's it's a pretty complicated app, and the changes that they made didn't make it any easier. That was the the thing that that kind of disappointed me. Yeah, but. I understand why they did those things because there's Xcode is doing more and more things. You know, everybody, software developers love to complain about their tools. I mean, that's just in our nature. It's like, oh, this is broken, blah, 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 blah. I could have done this better. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of mentality. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that Xcode does really well. And Xcode has changed so much recently but it's changed a little bit at a time so most people don't realize how much better it has gotten i mean just recently i fired had to fire up the old version to, to check some old software and you know, do a crash investigation kind of thing oh my god and running x x code three was just painful yeah slow it was like it was hard to navigate and you know, I've adapted to the new version, and it and it, it's fine. It's you know, and there'll probably be another you know Xcode five or six or whatever that changes things up again. And you know, well, it's your tools change, right? It's not it. We're not like woodworkers, right? You know, it's like saws have never changed, chisels have never changed, hammers haven't changed. I mean, there's been small incremental improvements. It's but our workshops. You know, on every few years, it's just like they just go through and take the whole workshop out and yeah. put one in. And it takes a while for you to figure out, okay, well, this, we're not using saws anymore. We've got this new laser cutter, and it's not on the right-hand wall. It's on the left-hand wall. <laughs> yeah. And really, uh, Xcode, I mean, but when you think about it, a lot of the work that's done at Cupertino, you know, at Apple headquarters, is developing software for the Mac and the iOS. So there's a lot of people at Apple who are heavily invested in having good development tools. So yeah. you'd think yeah. that when they make changes that it's generally for the better. I mean, sometimes I wonder when you look at an app like like Pages, that you know, how many people are are writing documents there and right. maybe those people aren't the people developing the software, but for a software development 
you know, environment, I would imagine that these guys really have a, a really thorough understanding of what they need. Yeah, they, they definitely eat their own dog food. Um, that there's, there's no doubt about that. One of the, in fact, it goes back to my comment about, I wish they had done some things to make the software easier to use. They kind of, they kind of get away with the, well, the people that are using this tool are smart so we don't necessarily need to make this UI really great, right? We don't need to make it really user-friendly and easy to, to use. It, it, it's okay if it's a little clunky. They'll figure it out. Yeah. And there, there are a lot. That's where the rough edges in Xcode are. I mean, I'm not saying the whole app is that way, but there, every software developer knows that there are some rough edges in the software that just drive you nuts. I mean, if you want to, if you want to see some software developer who works on iOS just go off on a blue streak, ask them out about device provisioning. You know, yeah, the act of making sure that you can install your software on an iOS device. It's incredibly complicated, and, and there's all sorts of you know things that can trip you up. And you know, it's been that way for a long time. Yeah, it's uh, as from my end, you know, where I sometimes get included and stuff towards the end. My own experience has been that's been pretty terrible, right? And I'm not the software yeah. developer on it. Well, yeah. what do you, do you, have you listened to? I don't know if you listened to Hypercritical with John Syracuse, um, but he wrote some articles and had a lot of talk about how Apple needs to move on to the next programming environment. That you know that. The, the paradigm they're in right now is is too old and they need to adopt something new. Um, and I don't want to start anything, but I was just curious. <laughs> if this was a software development show, I'd go yeah. off on, on that, how, how Syracuse is a Perl developer. But <laughs> your, your audience is probably not going to get that, that, that at all. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I guess my question John, would... John, if you're listening... <laughs> I'll send a clip to him. I'm sure he'd love to hear it. <laughs> no, no, no. But the um, John John is he's he's a great guy. I've, I've met him a couple times. He's he's smart. I mean that that I I personally I don't see how he does those you know Mac OS 10 reviews every time there's a new version come out. It's like my God, those things are long. I mean, in fact, I read them a lot of times and learn stuff that I didn't even know. Even yeah. though been using the beta. Been using the beta for yeah. six months or whatever. And it's like, oh, really? There's that bit of UI? And oh, I never knew that. Well, yeah, so he's 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 brilliant. Yeah. Great. You know, I, I really think he is brilliant. I mean, when I listen to him talk, I'm really missing his show now that's gone off the air. But even when he talks about uh framers and pen for, you know, legal stuff that I deal with every day, I, I can tell the guy's got such a bright mind that he thinks through these things but on that subject in particular i was just curious uh, do you see that that where apple's at with the current existing frameworks is is going to be fine for them is that i mean where do you see the future of this stuff going well apple has has been making incremental improvements to objective c throughout the years and they're really they're they're really good refinements and and the stuff that john is talking about it it's, yeah, they, it could be better, and I'm glad that he's he's saying those kinds of things because it gives people some ideas, mainly people at Apple, ideas about the future direction of how that how that should go. 
Um, I know there are a lot of people at Apple who respect his opinion, and you know, he's you know he's a smart guy and he's worth listening to. Um, but Apple does things on their own schedule, right? They they're gonna they're gonna do things when they feel it's the right time to do them. Um, their main focus, I think, right now is getting frameworks in place to deal with web services. I mean, that to yeah. me is just a very much a focus of the company right now. And to be honest, those frameworks like iCloud, they're pretty painful for third-party developers right now. I mean, they're very powerful. They can do a lot of stuff, but they're really hard to, to work with. And developers of all types are clamoring for that to be an easier process. You know, it, you know something that they can spend weeks on rather than in months. Um, yeah, it, that's clearly, you know, when you think about, you know, the the perceived failings of these these companies, you look at Google and you always say, well, their stuff is great on the web but never looks any good. And then you say, well, Apple makes a great product, but they don't really have the web chops. Right. And it, it seems like Google is making a lot of effort to improve their UI and their, you know, for better yeah. or for worse. The, and, the, the yeah, the scary thing is that Apple's or Google's getting better at design faster than Apple's getting good at web services. Yeah, that is a scary thing right now. And I know that Apple's putting a lot of resources out. I mean, it's pretty clear that their five or ten year strategy is that data center in North Carolina. Right? They've got a big, huge data center. They want our backups they want our photos they want our music they want yeah they want our data to be stored there and once it is i mean the the benefits are are huge right Right. like okay i've got a mac at work and an ipad at home and i just don't have to worry about where my files are yeah that's 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 a, a dream come true it's from a technical point of view, it's a really hard dream to make happen, but it's uh, it's definitely the area that, that where things are headed. Well, I think well, the lesson. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kate. No, I was going to say, aside from moving, perhaps as slowly as they are, do you think they are 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 taking this move? Um, do you think they're strategically doing it correctly? I mean, they've been they've been doing it in baby steps, and and I, the one thing that I know. You know, when Apple releases a new product or when Apple releases a new web service, perhaps it's being a power user. You know, I just find myself, that's really good. I want just a little bit more. And it's kind yeah, of, well. you know, with iTunes Match, good first try. I want a little bit more. You know, I, I, I want my movies in the cloud. I want my TV, you know, now I got my TV shows in my cloud, but I don't have my movies in the cloud. Or I want it to be better implemented this way. Or okay, iCloud, iCloud is good, but I, I want more hooks into it or I want more storage space or, uh, you know, good, but, you know, not great at the first attempt. And it takes them a while. You know, it's almost kind of become the Microsoft strategy if it takes three versions for anything to become, I hate to say that, I'm going to get feedback about that. But but that seems to be where things are going with these web strategies. Do you, do you think that's the right way to do it? Because they seem to find that when they, 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 can, they can easily bite off more than they can chew and then everything can come crumbling down. Yeah, that uh, Apple's approach has always been incremental, right? It's like John Gruber put this idea in my head. That, you know, in his that article he wrote. You know, that's how Apple rolls. Yeah, you know, they they, they just they yeah. just do a little bit at a time. 
whether it's a piece of software or a piece of hardware, you know, it just keeps getting better. Um, the same is true with their web services. I, I agree with your assessment there that, that, that that's tends to be what they're doing. In fact, there, there, there are a lot of incremental improvements happening with maps right now that nobody notices, right? Because the map data set is just getting better, right? And you only notice something something's wrong, right? So they, they are in improving that stuff. You're always going to want more. That's, it's just human nature, right? It's like Apple shows you something it's like yeah, even if it's you know the iphone you know people are complaining you know this iphone 5 is just amazing but people can find faults with it uh it scuffs up a little bit you know there's a, a little bits here and there right oh it should have more memory or you know whatever it, you always want more um i think the the the, the i really haven't thought about this too much so i'm kind of not what I'm saying here is not real well formed thoughts, but it seems like they need to. This stuff needs to be happening iteratively, but at a faster pace. Because, like I, I said just a bit ago, it's it's like they they feel like it feels like Apple is falling behind in this web services sphere. Yeah, it, especially when you compare compare and contrast them with Google. Well, it seems to me that the the point is, you know, Apple's got all this money in the bank, and you think, well, they need better web services. They got what's a hundred and ten billion or something. Uh, you know, spend a couple of those billions and just build more servers. And I don't yeah. think it's that easy. I, I think, yeah, that, it, it's not. I mean, that falls into the mythical man month, right? Yeah. You know, it's like you know, oh well, if this takes you know ten man months, let's just get ten men to do it in a month. Well, that ain't gonna happen. Yeah, and it's the same it, truth with web services. And it, we're definitely in early days on this stuff. And there's a couple people who have figured it out, like Google and Facebook and some of these others, through probably millions of mistakes. And yeah, well, th- their companies grew up that way. Google, yeah. uh, they just grew up on servers. Facebook just grew up on servers. Right? They understand servers. Apple grew up on the desktop. Yeah, and their challenges—they don't get this—they don't get to scale up like Facebook and Google. Google didn't have billions of people using it when it first opened its doors. Right. Whereas when Apple premieres one of these web services, they've already got this massive user base. So you know, a little mistake turns into Mobile Me, and uh, they—they can't do that. They can't afford to do that. So it's—it's a—I can imagine how daunting this must be. But I agree with you that they need to. They need to climb this mountain and and pretty quickly. Yeah, that that's a very good point. It's that they have to over provision stuff so much on day one. That's and there's you know with these web services, they're really hard to test at scale. Yeah. It's really hard to simulate, you know, ten million users, which is probably conservative. For something like you know iCloud, ten million users doing random things at random times with random data. Uh, there's just no way to test that. And you know, you flip the switch and cross your fingers. Well, it's probably gonna, you know, have problems. Yeah. Well, it's definitely gonna be interesting to see how this develops. I, I think Apple is going to figure it. Out. I think there's a lot of smart people there, and I guess call me a fanboy, but I, I do think that they have. The competence and the desire to make this work, but it's just going to take a while. 
Well, it's it. Apple being in a corner, backed into a corner, is a good thing. Um, they, the, they like being an underdog, right? They like having that. You know, we got to fight our way to success, and the the, you know, the, the Apple was almost out of business in the mid nineties. Yeah. Right, they they were pretty damn close to being, you know, history, and you know they fought back with some great desktop products, with some innovative consumer products, and you know them being a little bit behind the eight ball on on uh, web services, and having a guy like Eddie Q in charge of it. I mean, he's he's the right guy to be, you know, kicking ass and taking names. Yeah. So, so Craig, what else do you use other than Xcode, though? I mean, do you generally get your programming done from within Xcode, or are there other third-party apps that you rely upon? Yeah, I'm a big fan of BBEdit. Um, and, I mean, X, Xcode is good for, for writing software, or BBEdit's good for pretty much everything else. Um, uh one of my biggest tools is my web browser. I'm currently using Chrome, which is interesting. Yeah, I that is was a long time. I was a long time Safari user, and what what version of them on now? Ten ten eight one, I think it is. Had this bug where it just was oh, ten eight two. Had the bug where it was Safari was causing my displays graphics driver to to hang up and you know kernel panic and it was happening like once or twice a day so it's like oh, okay so safari is making this every time i'm getting a crash it's when i'm in safari i'm going to try google chrome for a while and the crashes went away so yay and i've, I've submitted bug reports and it's been it's a known problem and apple's working on it but in the meantime it's like i've really fallen in love with the uh, google chrome yeah, I mean, if you start using it, it works, right? Yeah, it's fast. It's uh, I think they handle tabs a lot better than Safari. Um, it's uh, it, I, one thing that Google Chrome does is just awesome. Is that you can tell which windows are using a lot of of processors uh, power. How do you do that? Uh, they've got a window task manager that actually shows you which tab is using the most memory or which one's using the most CPU. So, you know, sometimes you go to a website where it's running some JavaScript that is just out of control. Right? And you don't know in Safari, which, you know, you just you realize, okay, Safari's using a lot of CPU now. Things are kind of sluggish, but I don't know what's causing it. So, you know, you start closing windows until it goes away. Whereas with Google Chrome, you just bring up the task manager and go, oh, okay, it's that that website there. I'm just going to close that one tab. Problem solved. Yeah, the thing that keeps me in Safari is like I use services and Apple scripts and a lot of automation stuff. And that, yeah. that always yeah. just works in Safari. I don't even know if those things work at all with uh, Chrome. At least they didn't the last time I tried. Uh, yeah, it depends on if they have an Apple script dictionary or not, which I've, to be honest, I've never, never even looked. Um, yeah. That's a, that's actually another thing. I, I'm a big fan of AppleScript for automating tasks that 
I do repetitively or somebody else in the company does repetitively. Um, you know, for example, when, when we make uh, a download for icons, there's a little Apple skip that I wrote that takes that folder, um, make sure that it has a readme file in it, make sure that, that everything is organized within the, the folder correctly, puts the folder into a disk image and make, basically makes it ready to upload to the web server. And, you know, because that's something we do fairly often. And if you get it wrong, you got to do it over again. It's like I wrote an Apple script to do it, and it's like it's never been a problem since then. So, yeah, I, I took a course a few years ago at Macworld from Salsa going on Apple script, and yeah. I still I still use stuff I got out of that. It's it's just so yeah. useful. And I know there's some people question whether there's a future in Apple script. I don't know. I've already got my money's worth out of it just with the the time it saved me so far. But that's probably another show. Yeah, that's a, the the problem with Apple Script, as far as uh, Apple's concerned, is that it, there are some challenges when it comes to everything running in the sandbox. Which yeah. I think is, it, for me, that's a very good move on Apple's part. Uh, to it gives me the peace of mind that the software that I'm using is not going to have anything that goes and messes around with my system. It's like um, oh, a few months. Ago, our bank required us to install some plugin that patched Safari's, uh, and just it was causing Safari to crash and do a bunch of weird things. And it's all because of this, this this quote unquote security software needed to go and you know look at every request that I was sending to their server. And like, I'm glad now with a, with things running in sandboxes that, that that kind of software can't exist right it just doesn't it's yeah. not not something that can happen anymore somebody you know an app does what it says it's going to do and you can trust it so um other things that i use that the the guys at uh black pixel have a app called versions and kaleidoscope which let me look at our repository software version control repository and and uh you know look for changes you know keep track of of who's doing what um you know on the projects uh remote desktop that's another one you know, again our servers being up in uh portland or in my garage even uh, i'll often use that to to log into those servers and you know tune stuff um text edit yeah i i write a lot of documentation and for me text edit is just fine so that's interesting so you don't use bb edit for writing text you just use that for code then yeah bb edit um I, i like doing you know when i write my documentation i like it to have Old italics, tab stops, that kind of stuff. And I don't need Word. Word yeah. is just overkill. Um, I don't need pages. Pages, you know, it's got beautiful layouts and all that stuff, but it's like, it's just technical documentation. So, well, and, and you're not printing out the stuff you're making. So, in a lot yeah, of sense, Word yeah. and pages doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's like, I, you know, we have a printer. Uh, here in the office, and it basically prints out uh, 
things that my wife buys online. Yeah, and boarding passes. Yeah, boarding passes. Yeah, boarding, yeah, yeah. Well, even now with with uh, with the, the passbook in, in iOS, I'm finding myself. I still print them out just as a as as a backup. But yeah, I don't know that I trust that little scanner enough. at the airport. Yeah, I know. I've 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 had problems, and you know, if you didn't have the paper copy, you'd hate to think what would happen. I, I don't uh, want to get all the way to be running to boarding, and then they say, "Oh, sorry, your phone won't scan." Right, right, right. It's yeah. The, yeah I, you know, one thing I always do as soon as I get that boarding pass on my phone is I take a screenshot of it and then I save yeah. it in my photos. Yeah, yeah. I, the, you're not alone in doing that. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> so sure that wasn't much of a tip. Probably everybody's like, "Yeah, duh." Um, <laughs> but uh, Craig, you know, one thing that we've had people ask about on our show is is how do you get started in programming? And uh, I think we'd like to wrap up the show with a little bit of advice from you on that. Uh, but before we do, let's just talk briefly about our last sponsor, which is uh, one of my favorite apps. It's Daisy Disk. And uh, Daisy Disk is an application that you can install on your Mac. You can get it through the Mac App Store. It's just 10 bucks, um, And it does this great job of visualizing what you've got stored on your hard drive. And it does these concentric circles. It's got this really great color scheme. And it actually makes managing storage fun. And why do you want to manage storage, you say? Well, because we've got these SSDs now, and storage is a big deal again. And you need to make sure that you don't run out of space. As I sit here recording this podcast, and I watch the numbers tick down on my limited space SSD iMac. Uh, so Daisy Disk is near and dear to my heart to solve this problem. Uh, it allows you to see all of the drives connected to your computer at a glance, and it color codes the ones that are in trouble, You know, getting closer to red as they fill up. And then when you select the one you want, you can, you can jump through it. And tapping on a, a large section in the concentric circles will tell you what that is. Or it's also got a nice little menu on the right side of the screen. And then you can start collecting them right in the application and deleting things that don't need to be there. Uh, a good example for me is when we record these podcasts. They're you know, three or four gig files because I record them lossless. Well, I've got recordings here that are a month old uh, for shows that have already been published, and I've already backed them up onto my external drive. There's no reason for them to be here. Right from within DaisyDisk, I can take care of that problem and easily manage my storage. So it's just a fantastic application for this problem that we are facing. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to use it. Uh, it's because the visual nature of it, it makes it really easy to manage your disk space and even makes it kind of fun. So go check them out at Daisy Disk. They're a longtime sponsor of the show as well, and we really appreciate their support. If you do end up buying it, let them know you heard about it from us. I'm a huge fan of Daisy Disk. Oh, are you? Like, oh, God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's software developer. We're generating data all the time. And, yeah. And I, I've got the same problem with my SSD on my MacBook Air. It's 128 gigabytes, and I was down to like 300 megabytes the other day. You know, getting warnings in the Finder. I'm like, oh man, I emptied the trash, did it all that. It sneaks up on you. And I ran Daisy Disk. It found five gigabytes of stuff that I didn't even know I had. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, sure an old version of Xcode. <laughs> yeah, an ex- old version of Xcode. Some lost and found files in the root directory that were just huge. I'm like, whoa. And, you know, it paid for itself just in, in 
recovering that five gigabytes. Oh yeah, I, I bought it was drive or whatever. I thought it was twenty bucks, and I thought it was a great deal because for years people have been making these disk management programs that feel very Soviet Union to me. You know, <laughs> just you know, very yeah. blocks and very hard to, to discern what is what. And Daisy Disk just does a really great job of making it really easy, and uh, so I'm I'm a fan. Yeah. It's a it's it's well crafted software and it's stylish. It's yeah. just you really can't ask for more than that. But so software development, yeah. how do you? Yeah, I, I, I mean, get this question a lot. Um, well, you wrote a book on it. That yeah, was, well, it wasn't so much software development. Uh, it was I, I did write a book. It was uh, a book on how to how to get into iOS development. And it, it sort of assumed that you had some existing um, existing programming knowledge. The, the thing, it, the, people often say, okay, what programming language should I, should I learn? And for me, it, it's not an inter- it, the thing that's not interesting is the, is the language itself, but learning what programming is. Um, it's sort of like you know saying, okay, I want to learn to drive. What car model should I have? Right? It's it's the model's not so important. You know, you could you can learn to drive in a Fiat. You can learn to drive in a Ferrari. Um, it it's more a coming to term with the experience of of software and actually starting to think like a developer and to to learn, you know how to express things so that a computer can you know run those and and perform some useful function um apple script is actually not a bad way to to start thinking about you know the 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 process of of you know of workflow well that's interesting cuz when i first started learning apple script people were telling me that's a bad place to start because it's, it's so different it's it is it is so different but it gets it's a pretty easy way for you to start thinking like a programmer right to start thinking about okay i'm trying to accomplish this task how do i do it and the syntax in apple script every professional programmer looks at that syntax and goes ah yuck but i think for normal individuals who don't have a programming background. It it's it, it it's good enough, right? It it it, it, yeah. it expresses the ideas, and that's it's really the ideas that you're trying to learn initially. Well, um, and, and for me, I'm I don't have time or the discipline or the resources to sit here and say I'm going to start developing apps. I mean, because it's a that's a full time job. It's there's yeah. no question. But if I can use something like Apple Script and Automator and Maybe a bit of Perl or something to to glue stuff together that already exists and make it do things for me. So yeah. that's what I'm interested in at, at the, this the, stage. The next step for me would be to to start learning something like JavaScript. Um, it it's a descendant of the C programming language. It's it's, uh, it's basically a dialect of of, of C that. Has a very it's a structure that's very familiar, um, it, or it, it's a structure that, or a syntax to the language that can be applied for a lot of different things, right? And you can write C language for 
you know, or C sharp for Microsoft Windows. You could write Objective C f- for the Mac or iOS. You know, JavaScript itself can be run on either a web browser or server. The advantage also with uh, JavaScript is that you don't need a very complex environment to, to write it. Right? You, you can write JavaScript just in your browser. Yeah, and there's some really yeah. great tutorials for that. Yeah, purpose. exactly. There, there's a lot of, of information out there that lets you, you know, ramp up on that. Um, again, it, it's, it's a matter of, of learning to think like a developer and making mistakes, right? The most important thing you can do in any activity where you're starting out is to screw up, right? It's, it's painful, takes a lot of time. You scratch your head for hours and then go, oh, God, how could I have been so stupid? Well, that's an important part of getting good at something. I mean, it's not just programming, any activity. Uh, you're not good at it on day one, but you got to have the perseverance to, to screw up enough to the point where you do get good at it. You know, I've heard the people say, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to get good at something. You know, me to you know, playing the cello or writing an iOS app. And I, I think that's probably true. I mean, I, I mean, I had experience with, with, um, Mac software development. Yeah. So I actually had an advantage going into I, creating iOS apps. And I look back at stuff I did in that first iOS app, the, the one that we submitted on day one of the app store and it's like, oh my God, why did oh geez, how did I do that? Why was I and and I hadn't gone through the ten thousand hours yet. Yeah, right. It's like I was dumb, right? And and you know, it, you know, one of the problems that the initial version of Twitterific had on the App Store is that the scrolling was jerky, and I could not figure out how to make it smooth. Well, then along comes Tweety, and it's as smooth as silk. And the reason is, is because Lauren Brichter, the guy who wrote Tweety, yeah. is also the guy who did the uh, cover flow on the original iPhone software. Okay. Right. Right. He, had a, he had a few <laughs> hours. Yeah, he, he had his, you know, he had already paid his 10,000 hours while he was at Apple. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm sure cover flow the first time he did it was not super smooth, you know. But by the 10th time that he had rewritten it, I'm just guessing that he did it 10 times, but yeah. You know, I'm sure he did it more than once, um, because I mean, it, any any piece of software that's done really well, right? Go back to Daisy Disk, right? Those guys, I'm sure those animations and all that thing being smooth and everything was not good on version one. I can, yeah, guarantee it. You know, version two probably got a little better. Version three, version four, version five, and you know, at some point you're going to have to release it to the public, and you know let them actually start doing useful work with it. But your first attempt at, at doing a lot of things in software are failures. It, it, being a good developer means being good at coping with failure. And it also means I think you really need to love what you're doing. I, I've yeah. for the for the first time in my life I've been bumping into people in the software business, and I'm sure they've always existed, but I've never really been conscious of them until the last few years, um, who really have no understanding of how it works. And 
they call themselves app developers when what they really do is come up with some goofy idea and hire somebody in some third world country to, you know, glue something together and stick it out there, then they don't understand why nobody buys it. Mm. And it's just yeah. it's just so anathema to everything that us is I think, you know, people have been around the, the Apple community for a long time, have got used to this this quality. I mean, like what you did with Twitterific at the beginning. I mean, you the product you released on the Mac at the beginning, like we started the show, you know, and now we're in an hour and a half. The uh it just really was a a changing experience, and that's what we expect with everything we put on our iOS devices and Macs. Yeah, well, let me give going back to terrific. I mean, that actually is a, is a good example of what happens with with a true soft, you know, develop software development lifecycle. I got the basic version of Twitterific working in probably about twenty four, maybe forty eight hours. You know, day, day and a half, yeah, two days max. Good enough, and it was ugly as hell. Oh, yeah. God, it was terribly ugly. But it worked. And I sent that to the develop- or to the designers, and they were like, oh, wow, this is cool. It works. Oh, God, yeah, I can tweet. Yeah. It's on my desktop. And it's like, oh, let's. what do we want this to look like? So they send me the stuff back, and it's like, oh, wow. This is yeah. going to take a while to implement. Yeah. <laughs> but it was awesome. And I was, and I was totally willing to do it because it looked great. Right, I was just like, "Oh, this is going to be so hard to do. I'm going to, I'm going to have to do it more than once. It's not going to work right." And and it took us like three months to go through that process. So you know, the initial development, yeah, because I've done it before and you know, kind of knew what I was doing. Yeah, two days, let's say. But then refining that idea and refining that design and just making it awesome. Took another three months. And, and what's amazing about Twitterific is you guys have proven your willingness to then just tear it down and start over again uh, with these iterations you've done over the years. I mean, Twitterific did not stagnate. I mean, it continues to to show kill us kill your way. babies. Yeah, yeah, kill your babies. It's 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 hard to do. Oh God, it's hard. Sometimes it's like it's like, uh. but again, it's it's that. Yeah, to keep making things that are good, you've got to throw away stuff that's bad. All right, and and you know the first version of Twitter was good, but as time moved on and people's expectations grew, and we wanted it to do more things, it wasn't so good anymore. Yeah, and also so just the way people use these way. apps changed, you know, and you mm-hmm. had to adjust to that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's. It's funny in the early days of Twitter, there weren't that many people, right? I mean, I'm user ID like thirty thousand something. You know, there weren't you know millions of people. There were you know tens of thousands of people, and my little group of software developer friends was even a microcosm of that. So you know, there were maybe like a hundred people, right? You could catch up on everybody. Two years later, you know. There are thousands, you know, of people that are following me. You know, six years later, you know, twenty thousand, thirty thousand. I don't even know how yeah. to follow. Yeah, but it's lots. You know, it's <laughs> so. Yeah, well, it's, it's everything evolves, right? It, the, it's it really is about not being afraid to evolve your products. 
right? That's the things change, and the you know, software developers we're like most other people. We we resist change, right? Change is is scary, and it's it's hard to do, and you know, it's going to make your life harder to change, and and it does, and. Then after you've done it, you think, "Well, I'm glad I did that." So, well, I, I do think that learning to code and and picking this stuff up, if you're interested in it, is something you can get started on by yourself. You don't need oh, to yeah. go to school yeah. to do it. Yeah, and yeah. Um, like you said, you know, get yourself started with AppleScript or learn JavaScript or even pick up one of the many good books out there about getting started with iOS programming. Because I know a lot of people start out with the idea of iOS programming because it's just so fun. You know, you can make it, you can put it in your pocket, show it to your friends. Um, and it's, well, it's a hundred bucks to get in the Apple development program. It's not, there's yeah. not a huge barrier yeah. to entry. The, the, the advice that I would give people is scale your ideas back, right? A lot of people go in and think they have this big, awesome idea that this, this app is going to change the world. And it's, you know, you're, you're you're trying to run a marathon before you even know how to walk. Yeah. You know, try to put up an alert dialogue in AppleScript first. Figure out how to do that and figure out how to, you know, do addition and subtraction in your AppleScript. And, you know, the, then, you know, move off into uh, JavaScript and, you know, get it to change text field values when you click buttons and, you know, just, you know, in fact, the thing I did in my book is I showed people how to make a flashlight app. Yeah. Right. And the, the reason for doing that was because so much of what app development is about is not the complexity of the problem, but how you market it how you design it. You got to think about how you're going to position your apps. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of complexity there that people don't realize is there at the beginning, right? They're just focused on, okay, I don't know how to program. I got to learn how to program. Well, being a software developer is a lot more than knowing how to program, but it, programming is a very important part of it. It's like, it's a, it's an essential skill, but there's more to it than just, just that. Um, so, you know, work on that essential skill a little bit. Come to come to terms with understanding how logic works, how control flow works, that kind of thing. And then you know, then take on your great app idea. I think that's good advice, Craig. And I want to thank you for coming by the show and and sharing all this with us. Uh, yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Where can people find you? What's what's the best place to you? Twitter, website, app.net? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking very on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, as David was saying earlier, my website is furbo.org, uh, iconfactory.com, um, I'm not going to give you my email address because I'm trying to <laughs> not do email anymore. <laughs> that, that's my other productivity tip. Try to stop doing email. It's, yeah. It's, or at least manage it better. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, yeah. 
Boy, that's it. That's a whole Mer- other show. Merlin, Merlin's on. Merlin Man is on about you know inbox zero, and I'm trying to just get do email zero, right? <laughs> <laughs> just do everything in other forms. But uh, it's yeah, it can be the email can be a total time sink. Yeah, but agreed. It's, agreed. It's essential though. It's I I I can't imagine imagine a life without it. It's that simple. But you know what? There are ways to to manage it better. I've been dealing with that myself. But we're we're in this too far. But that the, I was just going to say this, that's a whole. Other yeah. <laughs> there are ways to get better at it. But it, I agree. It, it is something that can take over your life if you're not careful. Yeah. The um, then also now, now are you on app dot net? Uh yeah, I'm talking Barry there as well. Yeah. And real quick, you know, and I I know I should know this as part of general nerd culture, but what's the story be? behind the, uh, was it the chalk lock? <laughs> Every <laughs> once in a while you go all caps on Twitter, and I know there's a joke there, but I never, I, I'm not, I get the punchline, but I don't know the joke. Oh, it was, it was an April 1st, oh, probably what, four years ago, five years ago, early days of Twitter. Yeah. And I just decided for the whole day I was going to tweet in uppercase. Yeah. Just to serve an April Fool's, ha ha ha. Yeah, and a couple of people, you know, my my Twitter handle is Chalk and Berries. Yeah, a couple of people said, "Oh, you're using the chalk lock." Yeah, okay. And it's like, and it was like, oh, that's too perfect. And it took on a life and, of its own. <laughs> yeah, well, it's you know, people ask me what you know, it, people think that that. That that's me sometimes, which is kind of scary. Yeah, it's it's a personality of the kinds of people that we encounter in our lives who know everything or think they know everything and actually know nothing. Yeah, uh, it's it's that person who is so full of themselves that they can't realize how shallow they really are. So it uh, it's just a it's a fun little diversion, right? It's it's like. It's yeah. Well, I, I recognize. I just, that I just do it. I don't know. I recognize that I'm clueless about everything, so it it works out fine that way for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. You know, we're all clu- we're, no, we all are clueless about one thing or another. Yeah. So, all right. Well, well Craig, Craig, I'm going to look you up one of these days. I'll just show up in your driveway or something okay. with my yeah. uh, bathing suit and you yeah. know, surf. You can give me a surfing lesson, I guess. You know, but okay. yeah. <laughs> it's like who's this guy? <laughs> and, uh, but uh, but we do really appreciate having you on, and thanks for everything you've done for all of us uh, Mac users and power users over the years with some of this great software you've brought, and and really I think the voice you've brought to software development is is one that uh, as a Mac user I'm very appreciative of that you know you you stand for the quality software that's got great user interfaces and and just makes our lives better, and thanks for all of that. I'm thankful for all the people who have bought that software and let me let me do that for a living. It really is a I feel blessed to have this job and and everything. So, yep. All right. Well, Katie, uh, how can you find us? Well, we'll have links to everything that we talked about in this show at our website. That's at macpowerusers.com or at five by five tv slash mpu. And you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Mac Sparky and Katie's at Katie Floyd, and the Mac Power users are at Mac Power users. Katie and I are also on app.net with the same handles. 
Uh, that's right. And you can also email us feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And that will come both to David and I. And uh, most of the time we respond to that. Yeah, we try. <laughs> Getting back to email. Um, uh, thanks to our sponsors for the show. One password, Fujitsu, uh, the transporter and Daisy disk. Yeah, and, uh, and we will be back. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to drop that uh, Macworld bonus episode in the feed if, if all goes well. We'll have to see about that. And uh, we'll be back with uh, talking more about essential iPad apps and, and other great things later in the month. So we'll see you then. All right, everybody take care.